Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. For a while, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. And so today we find ourselves, as Brad said, in Acts chapter 16. What is uh, significant about Acts chapter 16? This is uh, Paul's second missionary journey. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we went through his first missionary journey. So on the second missionary journey, a couple things that, uh, because we're going to skip ahead a little bit and pick up and starting in verse 13. Uh, Paul on the second missionary journey is wanting to go take the gospel into Asia, to go further east uh, from Antioch where he is. But on multiple occasions, he has stopped. I'm not sure how he has stopped, but he has just stopped. And it's just the Lord will not allow him to go. And so a lot of times we talk about finding God's will and how God opens doors for us. But sometimes there are closed doors in our life that we really see God's hand, and it pushes us even in another direction. So from there, Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man, a man from Greece. And so Paul makes his way west on this second missionary journey and ultimately takes the gospel into Asia, or excuse me, into Europe. So the first time the gospel gets into Europe uh, is today. We see in Acts chapter 16, which obviously we're very much impacted by that. Now, here's where we're going to go with the message. So if you're like, I've not been here any of these weeks. I don't know what you just were talking about and not sure how much I care about that. But I'm here. Do you have anything for me? Well, let me take a stab at it. H- have you ever said anything like this? I'm not a religious type, or I'm not the religious type. Have you ever said anything like that? Nobody nodding? Do you know anybody? And you might, you might say, well, well, you know, my, my grandmother was like the religious type, but I'm, I'm, I'm not the religious, religious type. And so here, here's what I would say today. We're going to see in Acts chapter 16 three conversations, three encounters with three very different people. And one of the things we're going to learn from this is that there are no religious types. We're going to see that the gospel breaks down every single barrier that mankind puts up. And I think there's a chance for one of two things to happen today. For you to find yourself like really relating to one of these three people that we meet today, even though they're very diverse, you might really find yourself in this story. Secondly, you might find somebody you care very deeply about in this story and be better equipped to minister to them. All right, so here we go. Let's begin in Acts chapter 16. Paul is now in uh, Greece, modern-day Greece. The gospel is moving. That's one of the things we've seen about the study of Acts is just in a short period of time after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the church explodes and is, is spreading all over the known world. And so Here we are in Greece in a city we know as Philippi. So in verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath we went, talking about Paul and Silas, Timothy is with with him, Luke, who writes uh, the gospel, uh, or excuse me, who writes Acts, is there. We went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had uh, gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the member of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So let's stop and let's talk about who is this woman, Lydia. There's a lot here. Now, First of all, it says that Lydia 
was a, was a woman, she was from Thyatira, so we know she's Asian. She was from Asia, but she had a house also in Philippi, so she has a house in Asia, she has a house in Europe. It, it says that she is a seller of purple dye, so she is a fashionista. She is someone who's very much involved in the fashion business, who's making a ton of money. Um, now, purple dye, you, you might be interested in this, it was incredibly hard to extract purple dye in this culture. You, you had to um, take that from these sea mollusks that it took just thousands of them to get just a small amount of purple dye. And so only royalty would wear this. And so she really, think about it this way, she, she has government contracts. She's making a lot, a lot of money. In fact, let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. When you think about Lydia, you might think about Vera Wang. I think that's a great, uh, that's kind of, some, some guys are like Vera Wang, not sure who she is. Well, Vera Wang is, a, she's, a, she's a fashionista. I mean, she's a fashion designer. Her parents are uh, from China, so she uh, is of Asian descent. And so this is Lydia. She is, at, here's what I want you to see. She is at the top of the social food chain. She is, uh, when it comes to wealth, she is uber, uber wealthy. But it says that she is a worshiper of God. Now, what does that mean? She would have been a woman who's very intellectual. And as she traveled around the known world and seen all of the, the religious different practices, she's come to this realization. She has rejected paganism. In other words, she doesn't believe that there are multiple gods. She doesn't believe there's a god for everything. In fact, she thinks that's just sort of intellectually bankrupt. She believes that there is one god, so she's interested in that. So she, as she travels, she would have made her way to a Jewish synagogue, and she would have known about the laws of God, the commandments of God. But she would have also known that she was not able to keep all of the commandments. And being a, a, a Gentile, she understood a little bit about the sacrificial system or about atonement or about forgiveness, but she had not yet experienced that. So that's who this woman was. And then Paul shows up at this women's Bible study on the banks of a river right outside the city of Philippi. It's like a group of ladies studying a Beth Moore Bible study here in Philippi. And Paul, that hasn't gone well all morning, so I don't, I don't know why I tried it again. But Paul shows up, and uh, he pushes Paul's, and he begins to talk with them, and, and, and he is explaining the truth of the gospel. And the scripture says something really important. It says that God opened up Lydia's eyes. It wasn't that Paul was such a great communicator, and he did, did such a good job explaining the truth of Christ that Lydia was saved. No, it was that God opened up her, her eyes, and so she believed that Jesus was what she was looking for, the one who could forgive her of her sins, that Jesus was God, that he had paid her penalty. And so we see this uh, salvation experience. So Lydia... It's the first person we look at. Now, here's a couple things I, I want to say to you about Lydia. Just two things. Uh, if, if you know some Lydias, here's what, here's what I would say, first of all. There are spiritually interested people all around you. Do you know that? I promise you, in your classes, if you're a student, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, there are spiritually interested people. And what will work with spiritually interested people is a strategy we talk about a lot here at New Vision. It's just this invest and invite strategy. If you expose spiritually interested people to the Word of God, we believe God will open their eyes and they'll come to faith in Christ. That's what happened in, in Lydia's story. And so we say this a lot around here. I just got back from an explore lunch just a, just a few minutes ago. And, and I said that to, to, to these guys. I want to say it to you. We want to create a place here where you feel comfortable inviting the spiritually interested people in your life. And I'm going to do my best not to embarrass you because you've invested some relational capital. Some of you are like, well, some weeks you do a good job, some weeks not so much. It's funny. I'll get texts from people like on Saturday night like, hey, no pressure, Pastor Brady, but he's coming this week. 
Don't say something stupid. See you, bro. <laughs> Thanks for that. But that works for a spiritually interested person. But let me tell you something else about a spiritually interested person. I want you to lean into this. Don't assume just because they're spiritually interested that they're born again. That's a quantum leap that's, that's not accurate. I mean, Lydia, even though she had rejected paganism, even though she had studied a little bit about the law of God, she had not yet crossed over from death to life and really trusted Christ as her Savior because nobody had really taken the time to explain the truth of the gospel to her and what Jesus had done. And, and so Paul does that. So that, that's important. Now let's look at the next person. Take a deep breath because it's about to get crazy. This is going to be a very different experience, right? Now, look down at verse 16. Once while we were going to the place of prayer, so Paul and his team are going back to the same place where the women's Bible study was being held. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Is she making fun of them? Probably. Is what she's saying truthful? Yes. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. This passage helps me because I can get there too. He became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now let's talk about the second person we meet here. This slave girl. We'll call her the spiritual captive. Everything that Lydia is... This girl is not. Lydia is super wealthy. This girl is exceedingly poor. So she is at the opposite end of the socioeconomic spectrum. Does, does that make sense? And we're going to see God do a work in her life. Uh, this is one of the things that drives me crazy. I had this conversation with someone uh, about uh, four or five months ago, and they said, you know what, we're looking for a church, and he, this, is, this person's not here any longer for this reason. He said, we're looking for a church where, where we can have fellowship with people who are kind of where we are socioeconomically. He began to tell me about how well he did financially, and he said, you know, we're just, looking, we're just looking for a church like that. What I wanted to say to him is, you're not looking for a church, you're looking for the country club. Man, that, that's down the road, great place, you should probably go there. I didn't say that, praise God, I wanted to say that. But, but we're going to see the, char the start of the church at Philippi is for rich and for poor, <laughs> the exceedingly wealthy and the incredibly poor. Now, for the Asian and, and, and for the European, so different skin color, different finances. You see, the gospel breaks down all these barriers. Do you see it? And, and, and so here's the next thing I want to say. This is where it gets a little tricky, and I want you to kind of hang in for a second. Some of you are already drifting off, which is not encouraging for me. It says that Lydia, or excuse me, the slave girl had a spirit. Now, in a, in a, in a real clear understanding, here's a girl who was demon-possessed. But when you begin to study a little bit about the word that was, was the, the Greek word that's used, it says a spirit of the python in the Greek, which is weird. So I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, and you may not be into this, but, but I am, and I think there's something here, so if you can hang in here for just a second. What does it mean she had a spirit of the python? Well, she, she's from this slave girl, so this is a young girl that's in, she's a, a, really a victim of, of, of human trafficking. She lives in Greece, in the city of Philippi. She would have been very close to the city of Delphi, which is where 
uh, the, the temple to the Greek god Apollos was. And Apollos really was embodied in a, in a python. So as, they, as you went there to worship the temple of Apollos, there would be these statues of, of the python snake. And, and in fact, there were priestesses outside of the temple of Apollos there that these women were said to be fortune tellers. And so people would travel from all over Greece to Delphi and they would have their fortunes told. And this young girl, she's a teenage girl, most likely what happened is she was fascinated by this paganism, by this darkness, and she was there fascinated by that and she lingered there too long and then she was possessed by the enemy. Let me, let me just tell you something. If you linger at the gates of the enemy too long, you will open yourself up to... Uh, oppression and captivity of the enemy and and even if you're unbeliever could even be possession by the enemy that that's what's in play here here's what I want you to see Lydia sought God you see it she was she was a God-fearer she opened herself up to the truth and God brings Paul to reveal truth to her this woman just the opposite she opens herself up really to things that were far from God and we see what see what happens now here's where it gets fascinating our approach that we could use with the Lydia's, the spiritually interested, we want to invest and invite, right? That works. Now, it doesn't work with the spiritual captives in our life. Why? Because they can't come. This girl, even if she wanted to come to the women's Bible study on the banks of the river outside the city of Philippi, she couldn't because her owners wouldn't have let her. Secondly, she's, she's probably not interested in that because she is spiritually captive. Now, this is, this is very important. Spiritual captives, and, and, and all of us at certain times in our life can be spiritually captives. Some of you today are spiritual captives. Some of you have people in your life who are spiritually captives. And how do you, how do you know they're spiritually captives? Because they disrupt, disrupt everything. This girl, her behavior is disruptive. She's manic. She's out of control. She, she takes Paul, who's a, who's a, who's a great, great missionary, great Christian, and, and after a couple days, he's just done with her, right? Do you have people in your life like that drive you crazy? Some of you won't nod because they're sitting real close to you, so that's awkward, right? They're sp- spiritual captives. And Paul doesn't, notice what he doesn't do. Are you with me? Paul doesn't say, hey, I wish you'd come back tonight because I'm going to be teaching on what God can do with a crazy woman. And you, my friend, are crazy. No. He exhibits the Spirit's power on her life to go directly to her heart, to what's going on in her heart that is driving her behavior, okay? Now watch this. I think spiritual captives need three things, at least. Number one, spiritual captives need pursuit. Like, they're not coming to us. We go to them. That's why today we have people here from our staff and volunteers who are uh, conducting worship services in the jail to our inmates because they can't come here. So we need to go to them. Can I tell you something? I just read a stat this week about Great Britain. Uh, 70% of Brits surveyed said they would not come to a church for any reason at all. Not for Christmas, not for Easter, not for anything. And, And we're not there yet in our country, but we're heading that way very quickly. We're, we're very quickly moving into a post-Christian culture. And so people aren't, a lot of times people say to me, you know what, why aren't our churches growing? Why aren't we seeing more people coming? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a post-Christian culture. So if we're going to be effective in our day, we have to go to them. We have to go to them. So next, so they need, they need pursuit. Next, they need prayer. 
Because there is a stronghold. Listen, in this, I'm talking about this spiritual captive, this young slave girl. There is a stronghold in her life. Her problem isn't her behavior. Listen to me, right? Even though her behavior was disruptive, her problem wasn't her behavior. Her problem was what the enemy had done in her heart. Do you see that? And so Paul goes right to the problem. Now, there's a, there's a complementary story in the Scripture, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, if you tonight or this afternoon you go back and you look at, at Mark, the story in Mark chapter 9, there's a story of a father who has a demon-possessed son, and because the, his son was possessed by this demon, he was damaging himself. The demon was, was causing him to convulse, even throw himself into a fire, and so he was creating disruptive behavior that was hurting this boy. And so the father brings this boy to some of Jesus' disciples because he thought, surely, you know what, I don't have to bother uh, the Messiah. Surely his disciples could help, and they couldn't. And so he comes to Jesus and he said, hey, sorry to bug you, but your disciples couldn't do anything, could you? And so Jesus cast this demon out of this boy. And then after this incident takes place, his disciples come up to him and say, hey, what gives? We tried. And Jesus says, this type only comes out through much prayer and fasting. You see? So today you may be here and you're spiritually stuck. There's destructive behavior, there's addiction in your life, and it is creating a lot of big waves for the people in your life. We're going to have folks lined up across this stage at the end of this service who will meet with you, who will pray with you, and beg God to do a work and and bring about a release, and we'll continue to pray for you, okay? But also, watch this, also, what a spiritual captive needs is a trusted God. Now, let me say this. Let me, please listen. You see, for far too long in the church, we have attacked the behavior. But your life and my life is much like an iceberg. When you think about an iceberg, the majority of the ice in an iceberg, think with me, because I'm having a hard time keeping you guys awake today. The majority of the iceberg, is it above the waterline or below? It's below. That's why ship captains are afraid of icebergs. They want to have a wide berth because they know of the danger. That's what sunk the Titanic. Not what they could see, it's what they couldn't see. And so in your life, it's not just the behavior. See, below our behavior are our emotions. Below our emotions are our thoughts. And then below our thoughts are our beliefs. And so what happens in our life is many times uh, something difficult happens to us. We go through a painful experience in our life. And then the enemy gives us lies, our false beliefs about that situation. And that begins to find its way all the way up to our behavior. It affects everything about us. So what needs to happen is we need a trusted God in our life to help us go below the waterline and see what's driving the behavior and to identify that false belief. And what do we do with that false belief? We expose it then to the Word of God because the truth of the Word of God begins to set us free. For me in my life, if I can be vulnerable for just a moment, uh, a very dark, difficult season in my life, in my ministry, and uh, I, I went, to, went to counseling for uh, a 10-day period, an extensive period of time, and this is the work that, that, that I did because I had, I, I was just stuck. I believe you can be saved and stuck. Do you believe that? Now, when we start talking about counseling, it, it's, it's, it's funny around here. We say at New Vision, this is a church where it's okay not to be okay. Do you hear that? Uh, it's funny. Years ago, uh, before I went away to counseling, I, I would get calls and, and people from other churches would call and, and want me to interview and, and think about coming and being their pastor. 
I shared with some people that I went through a period of depression and, and anxiety and struggles. I haven't had a call since then. It's like, whoa, that's weird. See, we're, we're all broken. We just don't want to admit it. You see that? And if you want to get healthy, you need a trusted God who's going to go below the waterline and help you identify the false belief that's driving all the behavior. You want to spend the rest of your life just working on behavior? You're going to stay stuck the rest of your life. But let truth shine into that area that you're believing something that's, that's false from the enemy and you'll start to get liberated. We have invested, listen, here at New Vision, we've added, we have invested a ton of money, a ton of money for folks who are trained as biblical encouragers, biblical counselors, and they are meeting every single day with people who are brave enough to say, help me, let's do the work to see what's going on in a false belief I have. One of the things that, I, that my 20th year anniversary was just uh, several weeks ago, and the cards that you guys have, have written, thank you so much. Amy and I have loved reading those. They've been such a source of encouragement. I can't tell you how much they've, they've meant. Um, but I got a card from a young guy, and he said, you probably don't remember this, but five years ago I came into your office, and I was so mad about what was going on in my life and his family. He said, I was so upset. And he said, you asked me to go meet with someone, a, a, a counselor there at the church. And he said, I got so mad at you. He said, I left that day thinking, he thinks I'm messed up. He's asking me to go see a counselor. He said, I was just, I was, I just railed against you. He says, but finally, I, the pain just got so intense that I, I took, a, took a stab at it. He said, it's changed everything about me. He said, thank you so much for telling me that. He said, through just spending time praying with this person, seeing my experiences, my hurt, and my false belief, and hearing what the truth of the Word of God had to say to this false belief, it's changed the rules. It's changed the rules for me. And so that's what a spiritual captive needs. A spiritual captive needs, needs pursuit, they need prayer, and they need a trusted God. Can I just ask you this? Because there are spiritual captives in this room. Some of you are resonating with this. Listen, some of you are resonating with this. Not everybody. Some of you are saying, you know what? I may be at that point. I'm just going to open myself up to letting somebody help me be a trusted God to, to do that. All you need to do is go to our website, newvisionlife.com. We have a care ministry page. Click on that. It's completely confidential. If you're a member, it's free. If you're not a member, it's $20. We've had multiple people join the church because they didn't want to pay the $20. So it's really growing our membership. So praise God. We, it's just an unintended consequence. It's the coolest thing. <laughs> but you can do that. And, 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 and we'll get you set up in complete confidence with somebody who can begin to work with you. Let me give you a quote that, uh, from the, my counselor. He's uh, just released a new book because so many of us who went to him... For help, we encouraged him to write a book, and he's written a book. It's just come out called At the Crossroads by Pete Kuyper. It's a really cool book, and it goes into greater detail what I talked to you about. He says this, at any given time, what I think and how I feel and how I act are going to reflect what I am functionally believing in my heart to be true. And so a trusted God will help you see not what you're formally believing, because what we say we believe a lot of times is really not what we believe, but we'll help you do that, all right? So here we go. We have seen... The Lydia's, the Vera Wangs of the world, interested in God, exposed to the gospel change. We've seen the slave girl had held captive. Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, attacks her heart. What's going on? And as she is liberated or, or free from that. Now, finally, let's uh, turn to the third and final character in our story today. I want to say before we begin to read, there's some guys here today who when I said, have you ever thought of yourself not to be the religious type? 
And you didn't nod, but that's you. You, you don't fashion yourself as the religious type. I understand that. I'm going to introduce you to somebody in the Word who was definitely not the religious type. We'll call him the spiritual, spiritually indifferent. Let's read a little bit about this dude, and then we'll make some application. When her owners, starting in verse 19, when her owners, the slave girl's owners, realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews who are throwing us, our city, into an uproar. Do you see the lost world plays the race card here, right? The church has always been a diverse place. There's been seasons where it, ha it hasn't been because of ungodly people, but its foundation was a diverse place, right? By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate, magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. So Paul and Silas are beaten, and at the, at the root of it, why are they beaten? beaten? Because these men who cared nothing about this slave girl except now they aren't making money through her are upset, and so they drag uh, Paul, make up some, drag him before the authorities, make up, trumped up some charges, and have him beaten. You see, there's two times in Acts that Paul's beaten. Both times, it's because somebody lost some money over what he was doing in his ministry. I'm a preacher. I've been doing this for a long time. You start talking about people's money, you get people riled up. Let me just, let me just have a commercial here. We've already taken up the offering, so you can breathe easy. I think as we grow in spiritual maturity, we have a longing. Listen, as we grow in spiritual maturity, we have a longing to give God the first of our day. How many of you wake up in the morning and want to be in the presence of the Lord through His Word? Yeah, that's, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. We have a longing to gather and worship with other believers. We give Him the first of our week, not because we have to, we want to. And then we have a longing to give Him the first of our finances, you see? And if you're if you're angry when somebody like me talks about that, then that could mean that your finances are your God and somebody's just messed with your God a little bit. You see, that's what's happening in, in this story. And you're mad. You say, you know, your preachers just want my money. That's how you have fancy coats like you have. This coat is fancy. There's no question about that. I almost wore my orange tie today to really be fancy after the wind yesterday, but I wanted to show extravagant grace to you Kentucky fans, so I wore this, just to, to, this, this blue. That's why I did that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So he's commanded to guard them carefully. Watch how he responds. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell, fastened their feet to the stock. He doesn't guard them carefully. He guards them abusively. This Roman jailer that we're going to meet, meet now, he's a spiritually indifferent person. He's a crusty man. He's been hardened by life. He's a cynical man. He's not the religious type. He would have been a loyal Roman soldier. And because he was loyal to Rome on the battlefield, they gave him a sweet deal in retirement where he had a prison that he was able to be over. You see? And instead of treating them securely, he treats them harshly, puts them in a dungeon, puts their feet in the stocks. This isn't like when you were a kid and got your picture made in the stocks with your sister, you know, and put your head through that. This is not what this is talking about. This is like chains hanging from the ceilings wrapped around your feet, and the Romans did this to bring torture, and so they lifted them a couple feet up off the ground so that they could not get into a comfortable position. So he's harsh with these men. That's who this jailer is let's put a picture of him up here that's not the jailer when I think about the jailer maybe yeah it's Russell Crowe in Gladiator some of your ladies are like I'd go to jail if he's if, if he's if he's there I'll, I'll yeah I'll go so he's a tough man he's a harsh man 
Now, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Do you see that? It's midnight. They're suffering, and what are they doing? They're singing praises to God, praying to the Lord, and all the other inmates are doing what? Listening to them. Can I tell you about the spiritually indifferent person in your life? How you suffer will speak to them like nothing else. Because this guy had seen some junk. But for the first time in his life, he's seeing some people suffer differently. And, and some of you are like, man, that is nuts. How could Paul and Silas be there in prison and be singing praises to God? Well, a couple different reasons. First of all, watch this. Paul knows why he's there. And you might say, well, what are you talking about? Paul doesn't appeal to his Roman citizenship when he's beaten. He could have. He doesn't appeal to his Roman citizenship because Paul realizes that what he's going through is for a greater purpose. You see, sometimes when we suffer, listen to me, sometimes when we suffer, it has nothing to do with us. But it has everything to do with those who are watching. Paul's going to appeal to his Roman citizenship in just a few moments. He doesn't now. Let me tell you something about suffering. Two things, and you might want to write this down. See it coming and see it through. See it coming and see it through. Paul, Paul, a lot of times for us, we're angry at God this week about something we prayed for last week. You see, Paul prays for an open door in Philippi, and God gives him an open door in Philippi. It just happens to be with this jailer. Paul understands that. And so he's there in that prison, and he's singing praises to his God. Because something happened. Watch this, guys. Listen. I'm praying this for our church. This is a little bit of a commercial. I'm praying this for our church, that our church will be a church that erupts in praise. I watch on Sunday morning, and I'm not beating anybody up. I've been there in my life so much. See, I'm not a good singer. I'm a terrible singer, to be honest. Thursday night is the service I attend. Amy and I are there. I'm singing. Sometimes I can, I can tell she's kind of looking over like, bro, dial it down just a little bit. <laughs> but the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Something happens. Something happens. We begin to sing praises to our God. Scripture commands us to praise Him through song over and over again, and they're doing that, and people are listening. You see? And you will never, as a believer, can I tell you this? You'll never find yourself in a pit so deep that you don't have something to be thankful for about what God's done in your life and that you can praise Him in the midst of. Praising God in the midst of your suffering and extravagant grace, we're going to see it, are the keys to turning the spiritual indifferent to Christ. That's what you're going to see. Now look at verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, run it through, you bigot! Is that what your Bible says? You don't even have it open, how do you know? Look at that. Don't harm yourself. What's this last phrase say? Say it with me. We are all here. Paul understood the earthquake wasn't for his release. He understood the earthquake was for the jailer's release. You see that? Now, we'll get back to Paul in just a moment. Why didn't the rest of the guys run? You ever thought about that? It says that their chains were loose, their doors were open. Why didn't they go? They had a chance. And they stayed put. Could it be that night 
in that prison hearing songs sung about a living God and a Savior who's with us in all things, who died in our place, listening to godly men suffer well, praising their God, praying to Him. Could it be that that night in captivity, for the first time in their life, they had a glimpse of what freedom could be like and they weren't going anywhere? You see, how you suffer, praising God through your suffering, showing extravagant grace, impacts people. It'll impact the spiritually indifferent. Why was the jailer going to take his life? Here's why. Because a Roman jailer, here's the deal. Everyone who escaped on his watch, their penalty became his. He would have to pay for all that escape. He thinks they're all gone. He's going to take his own life. And Paul says, no, we're all here. This is going to set up the gospel in such a, a killer way in just a few moments. Here we go. Verse 28, or excuse me, verse 29. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Can you stop for a moment? Here is this spiritually indifferent man, a hard man, a cynical man, who man a man who laughed in the face of the religious types. And now he is trembling and he's falling at the feet of Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked them a question. Here it is. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Is that the wildest thing you've ever heard? This tough, hard, spiritually indifferent, callous man says, tell me one thing. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have what you have? Because I have never seen anyone suffer like you are suffering. Thursday we sat in this room right here where you're sitting. We learned early Tuesday morning about a church member that we love, Angie Walker, who was, you, many of you know, was killed in the tornado that touched down there in Christiana. Her house turned upside down and Angie lost her life. A mom, two children, a husband, her mother, stepfather here, sat in the last service right back there. The service begins, one song, and then her mom walks out. Helen walks out. You may have even seen it on the news. She begins to tell her story of how angry she was at God. On Tuesday and on Wednesday. But then even in her anger, even in her confusion, calling out to God and how God met her there and what God did in her life. And she began to testify. And I listen, you could have heard a pin drop in this room. Everyone here, whether you were religious or not, knew that God was speaking through this woman. In the midst of her suffering, she gave praise to her God and glory to her God. In that service, folks had a chance to put their faith and trust in Christ. There were middle school students sitting on those back couple of rows. Then it was a chance to say yes to Jesus. They stood. People all over this room standing, saying yes to Christ. 
Because I think for the first time in their life, they might have seen someone who suffered well. Giving praise to God and showing, showing extravagant grace in the midst of our suffering or even in the midst of our little slights in life are the keys to breaking the chains of the spiritually indifferent around us. Some of you today, please listen to what I'm about to say. It's time to go. Some of you today, you're in the prison of a bad marriage. I am not, please, I'm not saying, listen, if he is abusing you, you need to get out and get to a safe place. But you're, you're, just in a, you're in a bad marriage and, it's, and it's, it's just hard right now. What do you do? You keep praising your God because something happens when we praise our God that transforms us, that brings an immeasurable amount of peace and joy in the midst of that, and you show extravagant grace. And it's the key to liberating the most hardened soul in your life. Some of you are victims of injustice. Heck, some of you just got bad service last night at Demas. He's getting zero. Some of you are going to leave here today and you're going to go have lunch and this servant, waiter, you don't know what they're going through. They're going to give you lousy service It's going to be a slight. How are you going to handle the slight? Show them extravagant grace. Some of you have a chronic illness. It doesn't mean you don't do everything you can do for your healing. We're praising God in the midst of it. We're thankful for who God is. We're thankful for what God has done in our life. And some of you are like, man, that is nuts. How could you praise God in the midst of that? Let me tell you this. Here's one thing. If you're born again... I deserve eternity in hell because of my sin. But Jesus Christ has rescued me from that. And I've got room to praise him no matter what's going on. It changes situations. Let's finish reading this story. I know it's time to go. What must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You know, his question is the question that so many people in our culture ask. Tell me what I need to do. Can I tell you something? If you hear nothing else that I'm saying today, there is nothing you can do to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ because he has done it for you on the cross. Trust him. Believe in the Lord. Look what he says. Believe in the Lord. You make Jesus your Lord, he'll be your Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He was. He and his family. And look down at what happens. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. Do you see this, this hardened, crusty, indifferent, spiritual cynic, the person who was probably responsible for a lot of these wounds? He's now cleaning them. Can I tell you something about the gospel? Look here, the gospel transforms people from the inside out. Nothing has the power to do that. Nothing has the power to break through all of this division like the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here we are. Are there any Lydia's in this room today? You're interested. You you believe in God. So did Lydia. 
you're interested in the things of God, you have some understanding and some of the laws and the commands of God, but you've never surrendered to Christ as Savior and Lord and let him cleanse you. Do we have any spiritual captives here today? You have been stuck for so long. You have wanted your behavior to change. You have felt guilt and shame about your behavior, but maybe for the first time in your life you realize there's something going on deeper in you than you ever realized. And it's time to wave the white flag and get some help. The gospel can meet you there and liberate you. Any jailers here? Hard, tough dudes. Hardened by life. Skeptical, cynical, indifferent. Except for this one thing. Listen, give me 20 seconds. The God of the universe stepped into your situation through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Took the penalty that should have been yours, was beaten in your place, crucified in your spot in a show of extravagant grace so that you could be released. What does that story do for you? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you reveal to the Lydia's here, men and women both, would you reveal yourself to the spiritual captives here about the next step for them and Father, for the spiritually indifferent Maybe for the first time, they're hearing a story of extravagant grace for them. Would you begin to set them free? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.